Now, the top of the hour on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn presents the Green News Report. 18 to 20,000 people could be dead in the wake of Monday's historic floods. Monumental humanitarian crisis in Libya after catastrophic extreme flooding. It is striking that we have already surpassed an annual record. U.S. hits new record for billion-dollar weather disasters in a single year. Plus, Texas heat and drought causing widespread damage to local water. Water systems. All of that damage and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. No one is saying that climate isn't changing. What we are saying is the business model is a monumental grift. Wait a minute, are we talking about climate change, Greg Gutfeld, or Fox News? Hmm, this is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the situation in Libya just seems to be getting worse by the hour at this point. Indeed, it does. As we go to air, a full-blown humanitarian crisis is unfolding in northeastern Libya, where the death toll in the city of Derna has risen above 6,000 after 16 inches of rain in one day generated massive floods that destroyed two dams and swept away entire neighborhoods. Mm. More than 30,000 individuals are estimated to be displaced with widespread shortages of clean water, food, and and medicine. The catastrophe underscores how the world's 20th century infrastructure was not designed for the new era of extreme weather disasters made more frequent and intense by human-caused global warming. A new analysis has found that since 1900, a full quarter of the deadliest weather disasters in Africa have occurred in just the past seven years. I had a feeling when this began that we were going to be looking at thousands dead. Now we're looking at Tens of thousands dead. Yes, it's just horrific. Here in the U.S., although not nearly on the same scale, yet another intense storm triggered flash floods that forced evacuations in some parts of New England this week. It dumped 10 inches of rain in just six hours in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, with heavy flooding destroying roads, carving out sinkholes, and eroding dams. No deaths were reported, but Leminster, Massachusetts Mayor Dean Mazzarella said the damage is widespread. We've lost a number of roads. We lost a few buildings, structural damage. Uh, all of these rivers overflowed and brought debris, and we have a partial uh, building collapse just around the corner, and most of downtown was flooded. The storm was not related to Hurricane Lee churning out in the Atlantic, which is forecast to bring even more storm impacts in coming days. Climate change is costly. 2023 isn't over yet, but NOAA announced that the U.S. has already set a new record for billion-dollar weather disasters in a single calendar year. Those are weather disasters that cause more than a billion dollars each in damages. Four in the month of August alone. This year so far, the U.S. has been struck by 23 separate billion-dollar weather and climate disasters, the highest number since NOAA began tracking it in 1980. 
Haiti. The toll includes the Maui firestorms in Hawaii, Midwestern drought, and multiple extreme storms and floods. Mm. NOAA scientists said, quote, we are seeing the fingerprints of climate change all over our nation. And we are just over three quarters of the way through the year. Yep. And in Texas, this summer's record heat has damaged water systems across the state. The Texas Tribune reports that as heat and drought dry out the soil, the soil contracts, displacing and rupturing underground pipes, forcing cities to find new funding to fix thousands of new water leaks. And that, in turn, is hampering water conservation efforts amid a drought and highlights additional vulnerabilities of our critical infrastructure to man-made global warming impacts. But there is some good news. The Federal Emergency Management Agency this week announced $3 billion in new funding for communities in 27 states to build infrastructure resilience against climate change-fueled extreme weather thanks to funding from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. Germany enacted a new law banning installations of most oil and gas heating systems starting in 2024. Critics say the law's targets were watered down, but it will still cut emissions from the home heating sector by nearly two-thirds. And finally, encouraging news for building electrification. A new study finds that even in sub-zero temperatures, all electric heat pumps actually outperform fossil fuels. Even at temperatures down to minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit, electric heat pumps are twice as efficient and cheaper than oil and gas heating systems. And that may be why in Norway, electric heat pumps today make up almost all heating installations. And beginning next year, a whole bunch of Americans are going to be able to put heat pumps into their own homes and have them paid for under the Inflation Reduction Act. Yep. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Please help progressive voices support the Green News Report by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. There is nothing Christian about Christian nationalism. Uh, It is the worship of power in the name of Christ. From Interfaith Alliance, this is State of Belief. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch in New York City. It's a perversion of our faith, and that's why it's incumbent upon Christians and people of faith broadly to speak out against these types of religious extremist movements that we see, not just in this country, but around the world. Texas has long been the epicenter of the most pressing issues and challenges facing our country. From immigration to education, from anti-LGBT discrimination to healthcare and lots more. What happens in Texas rarely stays in Texas. On this week's State of Belief, we'll hear from two lawmakers on the front lines in Austin, and you will leave with as much hope as I did. Thank you for listening to State of Belief. To get these important conversations in front of more people who need them, we've partnered with Religion News Service, the leading religion journalism organization in the country. And as part of the RNS family of podcasts, there's a next generation podcast I want to make sure you're subscribed to. Please visit stateofbelief.com slash new podcast.
State of Belief is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you've made a donation, thank you for helping get these conversations heard by more people who need them. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can help keep this show going is available at stateofbelief.com. And you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join us at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my guests. Representative Salman Bojani is a businessman and attorney. He was born in Pakistan and is the first Muslim elected to the Texas state legislature. Representative James Tallarico is a Harvard grad, a former public school teacher, and a student enrolled in Austin Theological Seminary. Both of them have brought their personal convictions to the Statehouse while respecting the important boundaries between religion and government, a practice that is especially important in this moment. We'll hear a lot more of their bios during the course of this show, but let me start by welcoming both of these accomplished Texans to State of Belief. Welcome, representatives. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm excited to have you here. You represent such incredible vitality. Our listeners uh, maybe can't see you, but these are young, exciting representatives who are offering so much. Every person has a choice. You can go into government and spend a lot of time being underpaid, overworked, and uh, doing really hard work. And you all made that choice. And it's just, I want to thank you for, you know, thank you for your service. Starts Sounds trite sometimes, but I really do want to thank you because it's it's a lot and you're doing amazing work. So I'm I'm really excited for our listeners to hear your background. So um, Representative Bajani, why don't we start with you? How did you decide to go into politics and what did what what's your background? What led you there? Yeah, so as you said, um, I was born in Pakistan and, and moved to United States when I was 19 years old. And uh, I saw after our um, 2016 presidential election, uh, you know, there was attack after attack on minorities, immigrants, uh, Muslims, there was a lot of Islamophobia from the commander in chief all the way down. And so uh, when in 2017, the first thing that our former president did was instituted a Muslim ban from seven Muslim countries. And as an attorney at that time, I felt that was unconstitutional. And I was just was appalled by that. And I felt like, why is nobody else being appalled by this in our community? And nobody's raising a voice and I just realized that there's, we don't have a seat at the table as the Muslim community or South Asian community. And I felt that we needed to have a seat at the table. And so I ran for city council, got really, I was already serving on the park board in my city of Euless, uh for the couple of years. And I felt like this is so important to make sure that we have a seat at the table, our voices are heard, our perspectives are heard, and we have equity with all the other religions. And so we are not targeted. And I did receive a lot of Islamophobia during that election. Uh, you know, there was a man that walked up at the at the polling location and and I asked, you know, I'm, I'm my name is Salman Bojani. I'm you know, running for this election and would love to get your vote. And he said, you know, what kind of pork do you eat? So I said, what do you mean? What kind of pork do you eat? Like, what does that have to do with city council election? He's like, no, I mean, it's really important to me. What kind of pork do you eat? So I said, well, I did not know there were different kinds of kinds of pork, but I don't eat any kind of pork. Um, and he said, well, if you don't eat pork, then you don't have my vote. I was like, okay, well, all of due respect, go inside and vote against me, but I'm not going to change my faith because you want me to, you know, the faith has, has inspires me to run for office and serve others, but has no bearing on how will I perform as a ULIS city council member. 
And so it was just fighting the Islamophobia again and again. And the same thing happened with this, you know, state house election. But, you know, that's why I, I keep on being out there for the community to make sure that we, our voices are heard. And we've done a lot of phenomenal things in the state house, you know, with the help of Representative Talarico as well. And we can get into that later as well. There's a story that I heard about you being sworn in as a representative on a Quran. And and the first, I think, uh, to have happened because you were the first Muslim to be elected to, uh, which is remarkable. Congratulations. It's really important work. But then there, I heard a story about you offering to put that in the chapel. Um, and then there was a story that ensued. Could you tell us that story? Sure. Yeah. So let me just clarify. So the, the, the Quran that I used to swear in on is the, is the oldest English pr- printed copy of the Quran in the entire Americas, North and South America. It's um, 217 years old, printed in Springfield, Massachusetts in 1806. And John Adams, our, our founding father, John Adams, had a copy of that Quran as well. And he learned about my faith from that copy. So it's really, really important to me. It's actually housed in my capital office open to a, a verse that talks about how we should work together despite of our differences. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do in the state house. Uh, but the Quran that I put at the chapel was basically on the request of uh, some of the staff members at the Capitol uh, that are Muslim. And they said, hey, Ramadan is starting and, you know, would love to have a, our, our Quran in, in the chapel so that way they can pray on it during the month of the holy month of Ramadan. And so I said, that would be a great honor, but the state doesn't own a copy. So I, I took my family Quran and placed it in the chapel. Uh, and and it, w- it was just, a, you know, a phenomenal opportunity for me to do that. And I was really honored to do that. Uh, my staff members did tell me that, hey, you want to make sure like this doesn't get stolen. You want to keep another copy or anything? I was like, no, I mean, this is such an honor for me to have my family Quran in the in the collection of the chapel. Uh, but lo and behold, like next two days later, it got stolen. It, it disappeared. And so me and my staff went up to the fourth floor. And it's not a really well, high traveled uh, area in the chapel because it's on the fourth floor. And actually, I didn't even know there was a chapel to begin with. But, um, you know, we looked around the trash can. We looked around all the places and we couldn't find the Quran. And so we we contacted the DPS. The DPS, there were two cameras there. So I was really surprised. That why would somebody take the Quran? Because there are two cameras there. You could easily, you know, be found out. Anyway, so the DPS ran the facial recognition on the person and found out uh, it was it was a lady and a group of other like ladies that had come into the chapel and and put the Quran in their purse and then left with it. Uh, and when the DPS came to my office, they said, "Okay, you can press charges uh, to to them." And I said, "No, I I don't want to do that. I just want to get my Quran back because it's my family Quran. It means a lot to me." Uh, but during the month of Ramadan, especially during the month of Ramadan, it's a holy month, you know, where we go out of our way to help people, regardless of what faith they're in. So we want to be compassionate, we want to be kind to people. And maybe this could be an opportunity for me to sort of impart some knowledge, you know, to, to this person that has taken it, you know, if so long as you know she can bring it back. And so, you know, she did bring it back. Um, she was not apologetic, which is okay. I think, you know, um, I'm realizing that it 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 was a good opportunity for me to let her know because what she came in and she gave the Quran back and said this book and so I asked like you know what what made you do this He's like this book is should not be put in this chapel because this is a Christian chapel there's an you should build another chapel for Muslim and other faiths but this is not like I actually got permission to put this Quran from the house administration I did not just put it myself and um, and then she said your book has so many bad things about my faith and I was like you know do you even know that there how many times Jesus Christ is mentioned in the Quran 
And she was, first of all, surprised that the Bible Jesus Christ, you mentioned in the Quran, I was like, he is our prophet. And he's mentioned more than 50 times in the Quran. And we revere him and we follow his teachings and we believe in everything that he did. You know, his character is immense important to us. And I said, if I can be 5% of what Jesus Christ was, I would be a huge, huge, like, you know, lucky person. <laughs> and so, you know, just to let you know that, you know, we follow some of the same teachings and we're, we have a lot more in common that we have differences. And so let's focus on that and build our bridges. And, and I think she may have not admitted it at that time, but I think, you know, slowly, slowly, that is my goal, right? To change yeah. person's perspective one person at a time. Well, it's such a great lesson in compassion and guided by your faith, engaging another faith that was not as, uh, you know, sympathetic or generous. And, and you don't even know, like, you know, people learn, people can change, everybody can change. That's what I always try to remind myself. Everyone can change. Uh, Representative Tallarico, tell us your story. You know, I served at Princeton as the associate dean of the chapel in religious life. And Princeton, like like uh, Harvard, you know, a lot of people go there and they're like, I'm going to become a master of the universe. And, you know, like, <laughs> and and yet you came back and we did school teaching and now are in this uh, the legislature of, of Texas. How did you get here? And, and tell us a little bit about your background and also how how faith factored into it. You know, and I'm I'm a Democrat in the Texas legislature, so I'm far from the master of anything. Um, <laughs> here, here in state. But first, I, I want to thank you for having us both, um, and it's so good to be here with Representative Bojani, uh, who I'm honored to call a colleague and a friend, uh, and he's a trailblazer in our state. And his election as the first Muslim in the Texas legislature means so much to everyone in our state, but particularly the, the Muslim American community. Uh, you know, Texas um, is, is proud to be the home of, of more Muslim Americans than any other state in the union. And so his, his election. Uh, wow. That's a fact I did not know. And that is like worth saying, and even underscores more why uh, representative Bajani's uh, presence there is so important. That's right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I remember seeing, you know, young Muslim kids at the Capitol interacting with Representative Bojani and with his election, you know, their world opened up in, in ways that that were previously unimaginable. So representation is so important. And, you know, his his election um, for me is uh, is, you know, the true fruition of multiracial, multicultural, multireligious democracy. But it's also a threat to those who don't believe in a pluralistic democracy, those who are pushing a, a sectarian, exclusive Christian nationalist vision for our country. You know, my granddad was a Baptist preacher in South Texas. And I remember growing up, uh, you know, he would tell me that we follow a barefoot rabbi who gave only two commandments, love God and love neighbor. And there were no exceptions to that second commandment love neighbor regardless of race, class, gender, sexual orientation, or religious affiliation. And so uh, to me- You know, there's, there's something like, I'll just say something really powerful about like old school Baptists, you know, text, who, who will take that seriously. It yeah. kind of goes deep. It goes deep, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it's and really it should, good. Really and good. Should, and it should go deep. You know, mm. religion should be about- ego heart transformation. Um, mm. But a lot of folks, especially in, in the state capital, uh, you know, they practice religion as group superiority. 
uh, or group domination. Mm. And mm. In my reading of the gospel, that's that's diametrically opposed to the teachings of Jesus. Mm. Now, you know, you went out east to college and then you came back. Tell, tell us a little bit about your trajectory as uh, viewing this almost as a vocation, working in politics, trying to represent the people. How can that be a vocation? You know, my, my granddad taught me that love isn't worth anything unless that love grows into justice. The only way to love God is by loving our neighbors. And so that's what drove me to, to teach on the west side of San Antonio, the, one of the poorest zip codes in the state of Texas. It's what led me to run an education nonprofit. And it's what, uh, it's what motivated me to run for office uh, about five years ago. And, um, and, you know, I often joke that being a middle school teacher is the best preparation for serving in the Texas legislature, and I'm sure Salman, uh, Salman would agree with that assessment. <laughs> well, you know, I think that this is this is amazing, and and you both, yes, you have obviously exhibit patience. I think one thing that's worth saying is like how clearly religion is important to you, and yeah, we have this narrative out there that Democrats are anti-religious or liberals or progressives. It doesn't need to be a Democrat, but like the progressives are automatically anti-religious. But that's actually not the tradition of this country. It's not the tradition that that we all stand in. How how do you understand um, the way that religion can positively function in democracy um, in a way that actually pushes us forward? Uh, Representative Bajani, why don't you start with that? Like, how do you see religion positively functioning? Because we have we have lots of examples of potential negatives and, and the reality of negative ways that religion has functioned in our society. But but how can it positively function in our society? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question. I think I've told this story to so many different people that I think when religion, when if you are religious, if you're following the teachings of whatever religion that you're part of, every religion mostly says do good unto others, do service regardless of all these discrimination that goes on, right? And so that's what I told people as I was running for Eula City Council that even though I'm Muslim, that should make it even more good for y'all that I am serving my my city, my state in the best capacity because that is my mandate from my God to serve selflessly, right? And as, as city council members, and even as a state representative, you know, we're almost volunteers, right? We don't get paid enough to do this. As a city council member, I, I was completely voluntary. And so I think this is really important to underscore the fact that we have certain uh, mandates as, as religious people to fulfill that uh, for the less fortunate, for the people that are marginalized, you know, regardless of the sexual orientation and race and, and ethnicity and gender. And I think that's what makes it more uh, strong as as a state, as, as a city. And that's what I've tried to do, try to show people of all different faiths. Um, you know, after putting the, the Quran in the chapel, uh, I reached out to the Hindu faith and, and the Jewish faith. And I said, you know, would y'all want to put your religious text in the chapel? Because this chapel is for everybody. And I'm not just going to fight for my faith and try to get the Quran there. And they love the idea. So they came in droves and, you know, we had a huge Hindu community that came out, huge Jewish community that came out and they placed their, their book there. And I was really honored to be part of that. And I had called other representatives that, you know, like um, Representative John Rosenthal, who's a, you know, a Jewish member of the, of the state house also. And, I, and it was really special for me to put those other books there as well. And I also want to give a big shout out to Representative, you know, James Chalarico, 
uh, for allowing me. By the way, he was the first one, first representative um, to endorse me in, in early, early on, like when nobody thought this could be possible. He, he saw that, you know, this is possible. And, you know, he really saw my hard work and said, he called me himself and said, I'd love, love to endorse you, which is really, really a huge blessing. And I think everything went uphill from there or, or great from there, basically very positive. Uh, but another thing that he did as soon as I got elected was he had filed a bill uh, that said that Muslim imams would be able to ordain marriages in, in the state of Texas, along with Jewish you know, rabbis and Christian ministers. And he had filed that in the previous session and he could have filed it again, but he gave it to me and he said, you know, as, as the first Muslim elected, I want you to file that bill. And I, I was so, so honored by that. And that shows also compassion in itself, right? How compassionate he was that like Reptile Rico has no ego, which is really, really amazing. And, you know, I think a lot of other members would have said, oh, I want to be part of that. I want to author that bill. Uh, and, and then I asked him, you know, to join author that with me. And I was really, really awesome, really special. And even though there were some hurdles this session, I think, you know, we'll, we'll try to get it past next session as much as possible. So how do you view, Representative Tallarico, your work in the context of you use the term Christian nationalist, which is, I think, the correct term right now of people trying to impose um, a certain strain of religiosity that is actually diminishing in America, but grown more ferocious and feeling th by, by its feeling threatened um, so talk about like that, that moment when you were on the, on the floor, um, talking about the 10 commandments, but then more broadly, what it feels like to work in that context. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you clarifying, you know, there's nothing Christian about Christian nationalism no. uh, it is the worship of power in the name of Christ. It's a, it's a subversion. It's a perversion of our faith. And so that's why it's incumbent upon Christians and people of faith broadly to speak out against these types of, um, of religious extremist movements that we see, not just in this country, but around the world. Um, unfortunately, here in Texas and the United States, we are seeing the fruition of 40 plus years of the religious right uh, and their movement to, to attack democracy at the most fundamental level. Uh, not only these these bills in the Texas legislature, like the Ten Commandments bill or the the Chaplain bill, but you know the Dobbs decision that um, robbed women of bodily autonomy in this country, even in cases of rape and incest, um, or the attacks on LGBTQ people uh, around the country. You know these are all um, the byproduct of a religious right movement uh, that has been gaining power for almost half a century now. So it's important to understand this current moment in that larger context. Uh, but you know what I said in that committee hearing was that an effort to mandate the Ten Commandments in every classroom is not only un-American, it's not only unconstitutional, but it's also deeply unchristian. And I tried to connect with the author of that bill, who is a fellow believer, uh, and I tried to connect with her through our our particular religious language, our our religious vocabulary, and our shared tradition. Um, and you know, unfortunately, it um, it it didn't move the author in the way that I hoped, but it did galvanize enough support in the Texas House for us to stop that bill from becoming law just a few months ago. Yeah, uh, Representative Bajani, can you say a little bit about what is about about to happen in October at the special session, and and how you understand that? 
Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, so I think the governor is going to call us soon after this uh, Paxton trial is, is completed uh, to talk about private school vouchers. Uh, I think the, the, the messaging is around school choice, but I'd like to argue that parents do have a choice today uh, with schools, with uh, great charter schools, public charter schools and public schools um, and magnet schools that like even in Dallas Fort Worth, there are really good public magnet schools out there. So parents do have a choice, but I think it's not about the choice as much as I understand it, as much as it is about taking public funds and diverting it to private schools, which I, I'm not a proponent of at all. And I, you know, and it, it's very unfortunate that we had a $33 billion surplus as we started the session. And this was my first session. So I don't know any other session how it was would be, but I would have thought uh, that there would be a huge teacher pay raise as Representative Talarico filed an amazing bill about that too. But we did not do that. We did not get a teacher pay raise. So my hunch is that, you know, there may be a carrot dangling at us saying that if you want teacher pay raise, you'll have to pass some sort of a private school voucher. And I have prepared my teachers in my district and school districts, and I've told them, unfortunately, I'll have to say no to both. Uh, no to the teacher pay raise because it we cannot pass any any sort of a private school voucher because um, if once we even open that door a little bit, it may be swung next session or multiple sessions down the road. And I think it's not a good idea to take taxpayer dollars and, and give it to private school ventures, uh, whether they're religious or not, right? There are a lot of, you know, I think Muslim schools and other religious schools that, that may be, you know, thinking this would be a good idea. But I think it, if we were fully funding our schools right now, um, I think it, it, we could think about it, but we're not even fully funding our schools. We're, we're not giving our teacher the, the living ways that they deserve. And so I think, you know, that's something that I'm going to you know, fight again alongside mm -hmm. with Reptile Rico and, and, and others that are passionate about this, this idea. And, and I'll take it one step further. You know, I think the unintended consequence of these type of Christian nationalist pieces of legislation is going to be the creation of more atheists in this country. And, and rightly so, because this is exactly why people distrust um, religious zealots. You know, they're more interested in putting up a poster in your classroom than living out the example of Jesus or, or Moses or Muhammad or Buddha. You know, they are, they're trying to impose their beliefs on other people through mandates rather than you know sharing the love that's that's exuded by their mm. prophets mm. you know that that i think is going to be the the consequence of this type of movement unless people of faith in in all kinds of traditions stand up and and stop this christian nationalist movement because it is a threat to this country it's a threat to this democracy and for the christians that are listening christian nationalism is a threat to the gospel of jesus christ We'll take another break now and be back with more of this conversation with James Tallarico and Salman Bajani in just a minute. If you miss any part of today's program, you can hear full episodes of State of Belief anytime on our website at stateofbelief.com. And make sure you subscribe to the Next Generation Podcast. Please go to stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. That's stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. You're listening to State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. State of Belief Radio, twice every weekend on the Progressive Voices Network. 
911, what's your emergency? America's healthcare system is broken and people are dying. Welcome to Code Whack, where we shine a light on America's callous healthcare system, how it hurts us, and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar. This time on Code Whack, what's the 2023 SAG after strike about, and what's at stake for actors? Plus, what could the ongoing strike mean for their health care? To find out, we spoke to Pat Finn, a Los Angeles-based actor who's worked in Hollywood for more than 25 years. He's appeared in such shows as Seinfeld, Friends, Drew Carey, and Murphy Brown. Was there ever a time that you thought, I'm not going to make it? I'm not going to earn enough credits or do enough movies to get the health insurance? Yeah, you get to times where you know you're about two months out and then you start adding it up and you add up your checks or you add up your, you can go on your account with SAG and you can look or you can call and say, where am I at? And they'll be like, you're $3,300 short. And you know, you all of a sudden you're now, it's, it's instead of your a field goal kicker practice, you're like, oh shoot, this is an important field goal. This audition is really important. So you don't want to push it. You don't want to like, you know, not change your style or, or what you do, but um, you're cognizant of it because of the importance of it. And I know friends that have not been able to get it. And, you know, it's not, they're like, yeah, I don't have insurance right now. I can't, I don't qualify. So all of a sudden they'll get something, thank goodness, or what have you. And then you get to a point where some actors are forced to get out for a little while or forever, just because it's unattainable. Get the full Code Wax story on ProgressiveVoices.com and on the PV app. Catch all our episodes by subscribing to Code Wack wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is powered by Heal California, a nonprofit that uplifts the voices of those fighting for healthcare reform around the country. Until next time, stay healthy. Whether you're listening to Leslie Marshall each Tuesday through Friday or Brad Bannon each Monday, you can hear them from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on the Progressive Voices Network. Here's a sample of what you'll hear. Scott Paul. Scott is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. We, we're talking about solar. We're talking about wind. We're talking about other uh, renewable energy um, you know, sources. And Democrats' climate laws um, have set off a wave of energy projects. We talked about the Inflation Reduction Act. But there has been a backlash uh, that has, has come about. Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, in a couple of different ways. You know, obviously, um, you know, the, the politicians, the think tanks that have traditionally supported the fossil fuel industry want to want to strike back at this. Um, I mean, the irony of all of this, Leslie, is that for many years, oil and gas exploration and research and development got massive tax support from the U.S. government. So, um, they want it all to themselves. They don't want other energy sources to, to have any part of this. Uh, and so Heritage Foundation, others definitely want to try to, to repeal a lot of this. The, 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 the second irony of this is that, um, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act in particular passed uh, on partisan lines. It was just Democrats who supported it. Um, uh, unlike a couple of other things, the, the semiconductors had a little bit of bipartisan support. Uh, the infrastructure law had some bipartisan support too, but this was yeah between twelve and nineteen people ain't a majority yeah. of the party. Well, you're right. right, you're right. But at least it was you could call it at least bipartisan. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. As, I agree. as opposed to this, and um, 
you know, and, and so there's, you know, there's obviously the, the Republicans are going to look at, at ways to limit some of this if they gain the power to do that. Of course, they don't control the Senate. They don't control the presidency. So it's impossible for them to do it right now. The, the third and I think most distinct irony of all of this is that of all these hundreds of billions of dollars investments of investments and hundreds upon hundreds of projects for manufacturing that have been announced, um, 60 percent of them are in Republican states. Again, that's Leslie Marshall every Tuesday through Friday and Brad Bannon every Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on the Progressive Voices Network. You're listening to State of Belief Radio on the Progressive Voices Network. Welcome back to State of Belief. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch in conversation today with two members of the Texas State Legislature, Representatives Salman Bajani and James Tallarico. I'm curious for for both of you, like, how do you, you, I mean, this is so, you know, Representative Bajani, you talked about this, like, really going to your constituents. How do your constituents respond to the kind of messages that you're sharing here today? Because I think, you know, it's a lot of us, you know, a lot of us who, like, have history in the media and things, we think that the media is what really matters. But actually, like, talking to people and sharing with them these convictions that you have and, you know, face to face, I mean, like uh, Representative Bajani has talked about, I went to the teachers and I talked about them, why I, I wasn't going to support that bill because of this reason. How do your, how do your messages about religion and democracy um, fare in these town halls that you have and, and the, the face-to-face constituency? Because I think what you two are offering is like messaging and I hate to use it that way, but it just feels very compelling to me. Uh, how is it working for you? Yeah, I think for, for me, it, it's it's working really well because I'm really transparent in my communication. And I, as I've knocked on 45,000 doors in my district last year, I you know I, one overwhelming sort of sentiment was that our, our state and our country has become very polarized. And how do we reduce that polarization, whether that's, you know, um, Christian nationalism or, or you know, that hateful rhetoric that's taking over. And, you know, I sort of give an example of, of Boy Scouts of America. Uh, I used to be a Boy Scout leader. My, my son became an Eagle recently. And see, they're affiliated with some sort of religious organization most of the time, right? But the, their selfless acts of, of really, you know, looking at climate change and looking at how do we you know, no, uh, no thing, nothing left behind in trails, and they really conserve their their planet and and how they serve selflessly to different organizations. Even the Eagle Scout project, how it serves an organization uh, to make sure it's sustainable for a long period of time. I think those are the things that you know will make us more sort of less polarized at, at all, and make us come back to what our core message is. Because before religions, uh, there's a religion of humanity. And I think we need to subscribe to that religion more than even if you're atheist, you would think that, okay, let's be kind to each other, compassionate to each other. And once we get to that point, I think we'll realize that we have so much more in common that we have differences. And that's exactly the the uh, the, the Quran that I it's opened up. It's open to that, right? God is, like Allah is telling us in, in that verse that 
you know, you have so much in common. Focus on that. We have created it. It says basically we've created you into different tribes and different groups so that you can get to know one another, that you should form cooperative relationship with each other and talk about what you have in common, regardless of, you, of the differences. And it's it resonates so much with me and the constituents that I talk to that is so important um, that we really come out there. And that's why I've also created an interfaith advisory council. People of in from the district that are, you know, uh, leaders of different faith. And that's how we've even come up with this bill that, um, and Reptile Rico also helped me with that, was HB 1883, which said that there would be no star testing on end of course exams on religious holy days. And everybody loved that bill. Um, and, and we were able to get passed overwhelmingly in the House and in the Senate. Um, and, and so, you know, it, and it's signed into law right now. Um, so it is it important because, you know, the, the, the essence of that was my kids were having a star test on Eid and other people's you know, kids were having star tests on Diwali and other faith uh, holidays. And so I, I asked you know, my colleagues, would we ever envision having star tests on, on Christmas? And everybody said no. And so I said, that's the point, right? That it, we should also have that same sac sacred faith you know, uh, holidays and we should have kids enjoy that because if my kids are saying, hey, we, we go to prayer on Eid or should we take the test? And obviously they're gonna pick the test. And that's why you don't see the same thing. Like when I was in Pakistan, Eid was a three-day holiday where everybody took off all the, you know, like it's like how Christmas was, right? And so we could easily celebrate that. We went to each other's homes and, and celebrated that. And here we're just missing that. And it's sort of washing off all the diversity and all the religious holidays and how we celebrate it in, in America. And so this sort of brings it back home. Um, uh, Representative Tallarico, like what are, what are some examples of, um, other examples of kind of interfaith uh, legislating that you that you can think of that um, made you like excited that that gave you a sense of um, possibility in Texas. Yeah, you know, I, you look around this big, beautiful world of ours, and it's clear that God loves diversity. God loves variety. Um, no two things are exactly alike. Um, the same God that made me made Salman Bojani. Uh, and we were made to to share and and love one another. And so, you know, I I, I was so honored to to sign on to his uh, religious freedom agenda in the Texas House. He mentioned some of the pieces of legislation, but the idea was that we would push back against Christian nationalism or religious extremism, religious exclusion with uh, an interfaith package of bills that would actually make life better for for people of all faiths and people of no faith at all. You know, our atheist brothers and sisters are just as much a part of um, of this state, of this country, of this democracy as we are. And and that diversity, that variety is something we should we should celebrate. You know, I know personally that I've I've learned uh, as much about my faith from um, Salman's tradition, from the Islamic mystics, um, from poets like Rumi, um, as much as I have from, from Christian authors and Christian writers. Um, so this kind of interfaith dialogue, um, it doesn't water down your tradition. In fact, it strengthens it. It brings out new flavors and new colors. Uh, that you I love that. Seen. I love that. Could you say a little bit more about the religious freedom bill? I, I don't think I know. What, was, what, was, what were some of the elements of that? It was actually a package of bills. I'll let Salman talk about it. He was the primary author, um, but we had um, Christian lawmakers, Jewish lawmakers, um, Buddhist lawmakers who were signing on to 
this package of, of religious freedom bills that were authored by our first Muslim member. Thank you, Reptile Rico. Um, and thank you, Paul, for that question. Uh, I mean, Reptile Rico is being very modest here. I mean, he's helped me craft the whole thing, you know, so, so he's being really modest. But basically, there's a package of three bills that we filed uh, together. And, you know, in terms of messaging, you know, we talked about messaging quite a bit. And so we were thinking about how to package the, these three bills and how to do a press conference. And so I was really honored with Reptile Rico's help as well to do a press conference early on during session as my freshman session. Um, we, I, I thought about, so the, the governor, Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick, both in, in their inaugural address, addressed the, the importance of religious freedom in the state of Texas. So we took that verbiage and said, we're going to call it the three bills, religious freedom agenda. And it was basically HB 1882, which said that there will be state holidays, state optional holidays for state employees to take off for their own religious holidays. So right now it, it, it says that Good Friday, the, the, the law is that the state optional holidays are Good Friday, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. There are no Muslim holidays, there's no uh, uh, Hindu holidays or, or, or Buddhist holidays. And so we added a lot of those holidays and this was actually filed by, the original bill was filed by Representative Joe Moody in the last session. And again, he gave me the same thing like Reptile Rico did that since I'm the first Muslim, I, I would file that bill. Any joint author with me on that. Um, that didn't was not able to be make, make it, uh, I think it didn't get passed in the committee, unfortunately, because I think they saw Eid and they saw like a lot of other religious holidays that they wanted to get. But if you think about it, it is such a low hanging fruit. There was no money assigned to it. There is no money. It's just... If I'm a Muslim state employee, I can choose to take off Eid and work on Christmas. That, that's all it means. They're, we're not giving anything extra. So, And what I did was I added other, like I added uh, All Saints holiday for the Christian community and Passover for the Jewish community in that as well. Because I didn't want it to be seeming like, hey, this guy is fighting for own South Asian faiths or, or Muslim right, faith right. or whatnot. So we added a lot of the other. So I thought that would really counteract all the negativity that would be spreading around it. But I think it's just, it was because of my first session, I was trying to make relationships and you know work on so many other legislation. I, I'm really hopeful next session we can start early on and get that done. So the second bill on there was 1883, HB 1883, which basically I told you about that there would be no star testing or end of course on, uh, on religious holy days. And you know, that was a big fight as well. And Reptile Rico helped me all throughout the process because I did not realize there's so many hurdles to pass any bills. Uh, but he helped on each one of them, just not, so I saw, okay, we'll go through the house and go through Senate and then governor will sign it. But then the committees and the calendar committees and then the whole thing is just, it was a lot of work, but you know, thanks. I had really good support, you know, from a lot of different people, including Reptile Rico. The third bill that we filed was HB 1884, which I talked to you about the Reptile Rico filed it originally, a previous session that said, you know, not just the Christian ministers or Jewish rabbis, but Muslim imams would be also able to ordain marriages in the state of Texas. Uh, I added also uh, the Hindu pundits, the Sikh Granthis, and the Buddhist monks that also could do this exact same thing, along with all the other faith leaders. Now, that was really interesting, and I think Reptile Rikon and I learned a lot. Like, So what we were trying to do is make it easy to say all religious leaders can ordain a marriage in the state of Texas, but that would require us to strike out in the law, because uh, right now in the law it says Christian ministers and Jewish rabbis can ordain a marriage. Uh, but it would require us to strike out Christian ministers and Jewish rabbis and put all religious leaders. Um, and a lot of people took offense to that and mm. started to say, hey, why did you cross out my faith? And I'm mm. like, I'm not, it, you, I have to show you how this is going to implement it, but I'm not crossing out anybody's faith. I'm just saying, making it equal for everybody. 
And so then we got a list of all the other faith leaders and, and we did that. And I was like, this list is going to be difficult because I can't predict all the other religious you know leaders right. out there. Right. And so and then right. we did put a catch-all provision at the end. But even that was a little bit uh, in issues. I think, again, we'll talk about it in the next session and try to see how we can get that passed. But those are the three bills in the religious freedom agenda that we worked on this session. And I look forward to working on some more. And it came from the constituents. It came from Reptile Rico. It came from Representative Joe Moody. And then it, the last uh, 1883 came from the constituents. But um, I, I want to add one more bill that yeah, we yeah. worked on, which is, which is actually passed. So a lot of times, in the, in, as I knocked on doors, people told me that, let's say, Tomorrow is Eid, and usually uh, in Muslim and Jewish uh, holidays are based on the on the lunar year as opposed to the the Christian year calendar. And so, sometimes you don't know at the beginning of the year when is Eid or when is Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or Passover. And so, uh, what the school districts generally require is at the beginning of the year you say what religious holidays you have, so that way your your kids can take off and get an excuse absence. Now, a lot of Muslim community came up and said, "Hey, whenever you go to the school district and say, hey, tomorrow is Eid.'" Because it's it's they have to have a moon sighting in Saudi right. Arabia in order for them to decide, right? And so uh, they require the school districts require a letter from the uh, imam in in certain mosques or the religious leader, and and sometimes we can't get it on time. So can we have a better process than that? So uh, Representative J.C. Jaton actually filed this bill, uh, and I joined author with him on that. I think Rep. Tariko also probably was part of that as well. And and um, what we did was we said. The parents will write a note saying that tomorrow is Eid or Passover or whatnot, and my child is not going to make it. He should be in excuse absence, and that got passed, uh, you know, and the governor signed it as well. So that was really a good. See, like, so people can have common sense; they can, and we just need to <laughs> present it that way. Uh, Representative Tallarico, I'm intrigued by the fact that you are you are in your your position, but you're also enrolled in Austin Theological Seminary. Do I have that correct? You know, I, 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 um, my claim to fame is, uh, is that my, the neighbor across the hall from me at Union Theological Seminary was, uh, the Reverend Dr. Uh, Margaret Amer, uh, who is the de- oh, uh, academic yeah. dean at, uh, Austin. Yeah. So you have to give her my regards the next time you see yeah. her. Uh, she will, she, hopefully she will not tell stories out of school. But anyway, we had a great time together. And, you know, seminary for me was a great time of learning, expanding, um, what I thought I know to, to really include lots of other ideas and traditions that I was, you know, woefully unaware of. But that's the reason we continue to grow and learn. So how is it been to um, go into uh, theological education, even as you're, you know, executing your office? Well, I mentioned to you earlier, um, as as a Christian, uh, I'm called to just obey two commandments, love God and love neighbor. And loving thy neighbor can be difficult and it can be exhausting, especially in a place like the Texas legislature. And so loving God is a way to sustain that uh, political work, that uh, public work. And so being in seminary has helped kind of balance me um, between these two different spheres. And, you know, my theological training and my political work constantly are informing and and challenging and reinforcing one another, uh, which I think is exactly what you need to be able to do this this kind of um, work. You need a a rich inner life um, and an active uh, outer life. 
I like to end this uh, this show by asking um, guests what gives them hope, and so I, w- I would love for each of you to offer um, you know what is what is the source of of your hope, um, and uh, and and can you share that with our listeners, Representative Bajani? Let's start with you. Yeah, um, there's a lot of things that give me hope. Uh, I actually went to a Vipassana meditation center for ten days. It's a it's a ten day meditation course. And uh, you can't talk to anybody. You can't have eye contact. It's as if you're by yourself and you're meditating. Uh, And it's not a religious meditation. It's a sort of more of a physical meditation and mindful mindfulness, let's call it that way. And really breaks down your ego. Um, And I felt like after that, like I really felt that we go around life pointing at someone else and say, that's the issue. And then we don't realize the issue is lies inside us because we have certain expectation whenever we have any interaction with somebody else. And if you really tame down your expectation, you would be so much more successful because there's no expectation. Anything that comes out of the way, you'll be grateful for. And so that gratefulness has been really amazing. So I've approached the same thing in the in the state house this time around where I, I generally try to you know talk to people, be really respectful. Like Reptal Rico talked about, love thy neighbor, right? That's so important. I think I, I love that concept in Christianity. And we have some of that in the Muslim faith and other faith as well. But, you know, just that's what really gives me hope that, you know, sort of it comes out of a little bit of religion in, in, in sort of the, my Muslim values and saying that, yes, there's good in everybody. Like you mentioned earlier, Paul, that everybody is redeemable, everybody. And I'll quickly, you know, give you an example, if, if I may. Uh, Representative uh, Tenderhold, Tony Tenderhold, tweeted uh, during the month of Ramadan as it started that this is the most destructive month in the entire calendar and a lot of bad uh, atrocities have happened during the month of Ramadan. And so it's it's really bad. And uh, it got 650,000 likes. So um, I had a meeting with my staff and, you know, we met uh, with Representative Tinderholt the next day. And uh, I told him how uh, bad the tweet was and how it must be very hurtful to 2 billion Muslims, you know, practicing Muslims around the, around the world. Uh, and just because uh, bad things happen on Christmas, that doesn't make Christmas bad. Right. So with the same token, you were deployed in, in at war in Iraq during that month. And obviously, you're going to see a lot of bad things that happened during that time. But that doesn't it's not reflective of the how holy that month is for us. And, you know, because of tweets like this, you know, people blow up mosques. My mosque could be targeted next because of that tweet. And it's so disrespectful doing that. And so he understood that. And he he, he apologized to me immediately. And I said he didn't realize how, how hurtful that would be. So I told him that, you know, I'm nobody. Don't apologize to me. You've offended two billion Muslims. And so because the, the hurt that happened was public, there should be an apology that should be public as well. And, you know, me and my staff were betting that, you know, with, whether this would happen or not, that he would take it down because he had 650,000 likes. But to his credit, he took it down. Not only did he take it down, he issued a public apology for that. And then um, the following weeks later, there was an Eid resolution where he joined author that Eid resolution with me. And so from where he was to where he became, I felt so grateful that, you know, God had sort of given me an opportunity to sort of really educate people. I think that's what it's, it's all about. He's a such, I mean, uh, the policy may be different. We're not talking about policy, but I think he's, he's genuinely a really uh, a good person. And he realized that, you know, he had made a mistake and he really owned up to it. And not a lot of people would have done that. So I feel like everybody's redeemable. I feel like we should respect everybody. And that's what my parents have taught me. Uh, my wife is also another source of hope for me because, you know, she is is the woman behind me. She met me when I was literally, uh, you know, mopping floors at gas stations for six bucks an hour. 
and has sort of lit that fire in me since then. And, you know, just how to give back to people, right? And I've learned through her uh, and, and my kids give me inspiration that, you know, they, like my son is an Eagle Scout. He's got two patents to his name. My my daughter runs cross country. She's just an amazing, you know, compassionate person doing her gold, gold award for Girl Scout. So with this, the youth that are we have go, coming up in the next generation, I see a lot of hope with that. Wonderful, wonderful. And that's a wonderful story and a hopeful story about how, how uh, someone can be, you know, have their heart changed. It's really, really important to tell that story. I thank you for it. Representative Talarico. Yeah, you know, I think this conversation and conversations just like it are what give me hope. Uh, I mentioned the the Muslim Sufi poet Rumi. Um, he has this great line where he says, in every religion, there is love, yet love has no religion. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Paul, about us as Christians stepping outside the center and rejoining the circle. Uh, and that's exactly what we're called to do as Christians. If you read the New Testament, if you read the Christian Bible, you'll see that the hero of every one of Jesus's stories or parables is the outsider. It's the outcast. Uh, when, when he's asked to explain his commandment to love thy neighbor, he says that the neighbor is whoever is different from you, right? In their context, it was the Samaritan. But in our context, it would be your Muslim neighbor or your LGBTQ neighbor or your atheist neighbor. That is who you are called to love as yourself. Um, and the Christian nationalist movement that's gaining traction in our country is anything but that. You know, in my experience, um, the opposite of faith is not doubt, because doubt is a key part of true faith. The opposite of faith in my book is control. It's people who try to control themselves, the, their environment, other people. Um, God doesn't need your mandates. God doesn't need your legislation. God doesn't need your exclusion. God needs you to love those who are different from you just as you would love yourself. And that's what we're doing here in this small conversation. And I hope it's what we're going to do in this democracy going forward. Representative Talarico, Representative Bajani, thank you so much for joining me here on State of Belief. This has been an unbelievably hopeful conversation for me and our listeners, and I wish you the absolute best as you go back into session and uh, would look forward to speaking to you many times into the future. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Rep. Talarico. And that's all the time we have for this week's State of Belief. This is very important. As part of our new partnership with Religion News Service for distribution and expansion of this show, the podcast feed you are listening to right now will be discontinued soon. Please be sure to subscribe to the new and improved podcast called The State of Belief at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Or at State of Belief dot com slash new podcast subscribe to the state of belief today we need your help keeping state of belief going i hope you'll consider being a partner in this crucial work by making a financial contribution today information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com that's stateofbelief.com and you can be a part of making sure informative and encouraging voices like these are heard by sharing this program with friends and family. 
Let's get more people listening and more people taking part both on and off the air. And join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook at State of Belief and Instagram at State of Belief and share State of Belief with the people in your life. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Religion News Service or Religion News Foundation. State of Belief is produced by Ray Kirstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Join us at interfaithalliance.org. And be sure to join us next week. I can't wait. Until then, I'm Paul Rauschenbusch on State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Thank you.